podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Cup edition of Raw. I'm your usual host, Guy. And joining me is Dave, who is here to discuss our journey to another League Cup final. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The wind's died down, so I can actually sit in my room without being deaf. It's great. It's great. Yeah, well, you do live like up in the North Pole, so I'd imagine it does get quite windy at times. Well, to be fair, it wasn't my internet that got destroyed by it, so... <laughs> uh, did you survive your second storm? Yeah, it was it was nothing more than a, a stiff breeze. It was absolutely fine. Beautiful. Right, let's get into the game. Then. I mean, teams, we always do this. Um, bit of rotation from Jürgen, um, Dave, kind of what you expected. I mean, I know we got Norwich at the weekend, but we did just play on the Sunday. So did you expect a, a slight bit of rotation? I actually thought he'd go with the same team that played Norwich, um, or oh, sorry, the same thing that played Bournemouth, yeah, and then and then rotate heavily for Norwich. But I suppose, given given the injury to or the, the non injury, but you know the fact that he had to go off to the Jones concern, against yeah. Bournemouth, I, 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 it did make sense to not start him. And to to Gravenbrook's Graven credit, it was probably his best start in four months. Yeah. Uh, he did. He did fade quite badly. He doesn't have the fitness to do much more than about seventy, but he did have his best start. He played well, and I thought, you know, when when he had McAllister next to him, certainly talking him through and kind of you know cajoling him and letting him know where he needed to be and stuff, it, it certainly did help him. So it it all worked out very well in the end. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Bit of a strange game as we were discussing before the mics went live it was it was kind of eventful with big patches of nothingness it was very strange yeah it was it was like you said there was patches where the game got got going there was patches where the game was a bit feisty um and tackles started to fly in there was patches of the game where we played really well but those patches where not a lot happened were actually good for us because it was mm-hmm. us controlling the game and keeping the ball from them and just being clever with what we were doing and not getting ourselves in silly situations where, you know, at, at no point did we ever feel like we were really under the cosh because we were able to control things quite well. Yeah, just probably their goal in two minutes either side, but we'll come on to that, obviously. Um, just quickly on their side, uh, I think the only change from the first leg day was Kearney starting over Reed, maybe just slightly more attacking, which 
didn't really work. I mean, the first 10 minutes, they threatened a little bit, but didn't really work too much. But I don't think it made too much a difference whoever started in midfield for them there. I... Reed would have worried me more because he is a ball of energy. Like, he's not a great player by any stretch. Kearney's a better footballer. But Reed has that dynamic ball-winning nature about him. And when they were good at Anfield in the first leg, Reed was vital to so much of what they were doing. So the reed Paulinho pairing would have worried me more. When I saw Kearney's name, it was, you know, he's, again, he's he's a good passer to the ball. He's a better footballer than Harrison Reed, but he's very one-paced. And if he doesn't have the ball, he doesn't do anything. He just sort of stands about. Um, so w- with that regard, especially with us being quite light in midfield, them playing Kearney, I thought, actually played into our hands. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, especially when you see the late attempt from them maybe bringing on Kearney in the later minutes could have been beneficial to them but uh, yeah not I don't think there's too much difference there anyway let's get into the uh, meat of the game as I mentioned there the first 10 minutes was probably the most threatening Fulham were in that half um, first minute we have a wide free kick Diaz had, heads it wide uh, well wide uh, Darwin tries a shot from the left bobbles towards Leno some nice interplay from them uh, Bobby Reed, um, Decadova Reed I should say him changing his names just never sat right with me. <laughs> and Castagna uh, cross, that's one that Kel- uh, Test Keller, I think he puts out for a throw in, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, that's the one that results in a corner, that results in Paulinho uh, volleying over. And then another cross on the left-hand side where Kelleher puts the Robinson cross um, out for a throw in. So a bit of a mixed start there, Dave. I mean, they did somewhat test the defence. Bit of... Not bad goalkeeping, but nervy goalkeeping, I suppose, especially the first one, probably. Yeah, a little bit of nerves, I'd imagine. I mean, it's tough for Queeving because he doesn't get the opportunity to get consistent games. So he plays the first leg and then he hasn't hasn't played since. So um, not, not a huge surprise that he started a little bit shaky. But again, I, I thought he settled down and was was pretty decent from there on. But yeah, mm-hmm. like especially early in a game when you're away from home, you are looking for senior players or players in key positions and goalkeepers, one of them, to just exude a bit more calm and a bit more confidence. And unfortunately with Cuevin, he just he he never seems to have that because he doesn't get those runs in the team. Whereas you you think back to December when Ali got hurt and he played like three or four games in a row. Mm. Um, the Sheffield United game. He was Sheffield United game. Yeah, yeah he, he, you know, and, and by the time we played West Ham, he was quite commanding and he was mm-hmm. quite authoritative um, because he'd gotten a bunch of games in a short period of time. So it, it's just unfortunate for him that he, he does kind of tend to start games a little bit nervy and then grow into them. And thankfully enough, we're very, very fortunate that, you know, our captain is is at centre-back. So he can then settle everybody down. And I'd imagine Virgil just exudes that calm nature, which, again, will help Kelleher as well and help him grow into the game. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what settled the nerves more than anything, Dave, was getting that goal that we desperately needed just to settle the game down a bit more, put us two goals ahead. Um, and we got that on the 11th minute. Um, Kwanzaa with a diag, which I'll come back to because I want to talk about our centre-backs passing. Um, uh, Diaz just kind of monsters Castagna in the air uh, and, well, the finish. <laughs> it takes two deflection and bobbles through Leno. It's not the prettiest goal, but I think everything before the goal was fantastic. I mean, the pass from Kwanzaa, the control and beating Castagna in the air is fantastic. Yeah, the pass is brilliant. And what was great about that was he played one a few minutes before and put it in into touch. And he wasn't afraid to try it again. And it's a brilliant ball. He just hangs it right on top of Castagna and he just invites Diaz to go and attack it. And you'd normally expect a winger attacking a ball like that to head it across goal, but it's a great first touch by Diaz. He drives in and I'm, I'm still not sure how it goes in. It looks like Polina actually cannoned it against Diaz or Diaz mm. kicked it, Polina blocked it, it hit Diaz again and then it seemed... It's a it's a very strange goal. It is. Leno should do better though. Like, yeah, no. Bert Leno's a good goalkeeper. He's not an elite level goalkeeper, but he is a good goalkeeper and he's a guy who is a good shot stopper as he showed later in the game with a very good save from Darwin. He will be very, very annoyed with himself if he doesn't do better there. That is that is one he should be saving. And, and again, I, like I say, I think he'll be furious with himself tonight that he's let that go in. Yeah, because I think not killed the game, because but it just really settled the game into the pattern it's followed afterwards. So yeah, I think it is a it's a huge moment. Yeah, I, I think it did knock the stuffing out of them for a while. Because like you'd mentioned, they did start quite brightly and then we started to find our feet and we started to take control and then we get our goal quite quickly and you could almost feel the air sort of go out of the stadium and it kind of go out of them as well. And it, it did make it a little bit easier for us then for the remainder of the first half. In the second half, they seemed reinvigorated. But it's hard to blame them. You're playing the team who are currently top of the Premier League at home in a cup semi-final and now you're two goals behind. And now you need to get two goals against the best defence in the country, which they will have been aware of going into that game, that we're the best defensive team in the country. It's a big mountain to climb for them. So you could understand some of the heads starting to drop and, you know, their pressing wasn't as intense and they weren't really any trouble to us up mm-hmm. until the last couple of minutes before half time. They didn't really cause us any trouble then. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Let, let's talk about our centre-backs pressing, because obviously you kind of missed um, half the pod at the weekend due to the storm. Like, we saw Ibu probably have one of his best passing games at the weekend. Mm. That's probably the most effective we've seen Kwanzaa's passing, especially in terms of the classic Van Dyke Diag. I mean, that was usually a weapon we only saved for Van Dyke. I know Matip is an excellent passer, so was Joe Gomez, but they were more like line-breaking passes. But yeah. If we're adding this Diag weapon to our other younger centre-backs, I mean, it's music to de- uh, whoever the hell plays left wings he is, because... It's an extra weapon. We see how effective it is for five, six, seven years to more. But if Diaz and Darwin, whoever's playing on the left wing, can have that, it just makes us so much more unpredictable. Oh, hugely. I thought that in the West Ham home game in the Cup, 
the 5-1. I thought Quance's passing on that night was absolutely spectacular. Mm. He had a couple where he picked the ball up and he sort of half drove into midfield and then clipped these gorgeous angled balls into Darwin, who was playing left wing. And it really did cause West Ham a lot of trouble. Um, like you said, normally under Jurgen, we've had Virgil plays those long arcing diagonal passes. Joel and Joe were more about either stepping into midfield and carrying the ball through the line or those low passes along the floor fired into midfielders or fired into, say, Bobby dropping out from the front line, taking it into feet and feeding it off to one of the midfielders. Mm-hmm. If if And Kwanzaa can do that as well. We've seen him a couple of times now step into midfield looking quite composed or just fire that ball in at the feet of the forward who drops off. But if he's got this in his locker as well, these kind of diagonal passes, the little clipped balls over the top on the move, like that's that's a new weapon for us that we can start to exploit teams with. And especially with Diaz looking like he's starting to find a bit more form, all of a sudden he becomes much more of a threat. If there's the opportunity for us to bypass the midfield, not let teams get set against us, and clip balls in behind fullback and centre back, that really will start to stretch the field for us a bit more. And the more we can stretch the field and the more we can open defenders out, the easier it makes things for us while we don't have Trent and we don't have Dominic to play those killer passes that are what we use to break down set defenses. If we can mm-hmm. now do it by going a little bit earlier from the back four in behind their back four that then does open up new opportunities for us and and can go some way towards solving the lack of creativity. Yeah, and that's the thing. And if our right centre-back can do those passes, I mean, it's eventually going to open up space for more who gets man-marked every game now. So there might be opening space for him or whoever the hell's playing right wing whilst he's missing. It just adds another dynamic to us, which is fantastic. Um, Do you think it's a bit weird there, Boo Elliott? I think it's very weird that they boo yeah. Um Look, I, I understand that he came through. Well, he didn't really come through their academy. He wasn't there well, long enough to really. Yeah. Like, he was at QPR. I think he joined Fulham when he was like 14. And then he left when he was 16 to join us. So he was there about two years. He played what? Uh, three yeah, I think it's three three matches minutes. and yeah. one under 21 match for them. Like, it's not like he's he's there since he's five years of age and then once he hits the big time, all of a sudden he's pushing to go. Harvey Elliott's path has been quite clear all along. When Harvey joined them as a 14-year-old, he didn't join to the under-14s or the 16s. He joined to play with their under-18 squad. So he was always playing a couple of years above. He was always being fast-tracked. That's not something we started. We bought him when he was already being fast-tracked by Fulham. But if you want to boo somebody, boo the people at your club who didn't get him signed to a contract. Yeah. Because had you done a good enough job at getting him locked into year-by-year contracts, it wouldn't have been so much of an issue. But the thing is, Harvey Elliott's a lifelong Liverpool fan and has never hidden that fact. 
that was well known long before we signed him that he was a mm. lifelong Liverpool fan. So like he, the kid has gone to play for the club he dreams of playing for. If there was such a thing as a lifelong Fulham fan who was good enough to play football and Fulham signed them, they'd be absolutely delighted. And then they'd be outraged if the club he'd left were booing them. So I, it is, it's just really weird. Like, you should be really happy for the kid. You should be really happy to see him going on and thriving the way he is. Football is a food chain. Liverpool are at the top and Fulham are somewhere in the middle. And what they are is a feeder club. Players will go there and use them as a stepping stone. And if Fulham are smart about it, they will embrace that and they look at clubs like Brighton and Brentford and what they've done to make themselves a very, very appealing club for young players to join, knowing that there'll be great development opportunities, great development coaching. And then when the time comes, they will be allowed to make moves to bigger clubs. And Fulham will then benefit because they'll make huge profit. Now, understandable, they're probably upset that Elliot left for whatever it was, four and a half, five million. If he'd stayed another couple of years, maybe they get 25. But again, point the finger in the direction it needs to be pointed in. Not at the kid who followed his dream. Let's be honest, who's saying no to Jurgen Klopp at that age? Point the blame at the ownership, the decision makers at your club, who allowed that situation to develop where his contract was just expiring and Liverpool swooped in. Don't point the blame at anybody else. And then and then didn't learn their lesson yeah, and allowed the same thing to happen with Fabio Carvalho. Yeah, they've easily missed out, what, 30, 40 mil from us? Just from us alone, I'd say. Yeah. So, yeah. And, like, the thing for them is, like, th- their academy doesn't produce huge amounts, but it has produced some decent players. Ryan Sessegnon, obviously a decent player. The one they've got now that they're very, very excited about is Luke Harris, currently on loan at Exeter, mm-hmm. um, a Welsh underage international. They managed to get him signed into a long-term contract. He's the first one they've managed to do it with because with Sessegnon, they had to sell him early as well because yeah. his contract got down to the last 12 months and he made it clear that you know he wanted to see what offers were out there. So Spurs came in and bought him. It failed with Elliot. They fa- like they could have all of those players in their academy st- or in in their team still. A twenty year old Elliot, a twenty one year old Carvalho. I think Sessegnon's twenty two. If they were doing things the right way, they'd still have the three of them plus this Harris kid plus all the good players they have there because they do have a bunch of good players, and they'd be in a much more promising position. Well, they're going to lose Tosin as well for free soon. They're they? going to lose Tosin for free because again. They didn't maintain his contract properly. After his first year there, where he was outstanding, they should have been going to him with an offer of a new contract. Mm. As simple as that. They should have been going to him with an offer of a new contract on better terms. And even if you're putting a buyout into it of 30, 40 million, whatever fee might be, like you paid, what did they pay for him? Oh, I'd be they, I think they paid eight million with two yeah. million in add-ons, something like that. After that first season, where he was excellent in the Premier League, and you dropped down, you should have been rewarding him with a new contract. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch. 
and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Basically, I mean, homegrown talent. Homegrown, homegrown, he was 22 at the time. Yeah. Clearly more than good enough for the Premier League, showing loyalty by to your club by agreeing to drop down into the championship with him. You should have been rewarding him then or at the end of the next season when he helped you secure promotion back into the Premier League. Instead, you went into last season with him only having 12 months left on his deal. Then you auto-renewed his contract because you had the option to extend it by a year and didn't ask him. And that apparently infuriated his people. And it's why he wants to leave, why he's not open to discussing a new contract with you. But like, first and foremost, what are you doing signing players in a three-year contract anyway? Who signs a 22-year-old on a three-year contract with an option to, to extend? Give the lad a four- or five-year contract. Lock him down. Tolson is, for me, I think he should be in the England squad. I think he's one of England's best centre-backs. He's dominant in the air. He's quick. He's good 1v1. He's decent on the ball. I, I, I would happily see us sign him this summer. If Joel Matip is leaving on a free, I'd love us to get this lad in on a free. I, yeah. I think that's a perfect move for us. And that would be another one that Fulham will have potentially lost out on. And that could be massive money. An mm. English centre-back. They're like gold dust. <laughs> We've seen them go for stupid money for ones much worse than him. Michael Keane went for £30 million. And English, English defenders only takes four months of good form to be the best player in the world. Of course it does. Of course it does. Like, go back a couple of years when United sold, or United bought Slabhead for mm. £80 million. And what was Brendan Rodgers trying to spend that money on? Lewis Dunk for 45 based off one season. At that point, one season. Tosin has multiple good seasons under his belt in the Premier League. He's 26, entering his prime. You should have him at the moment with two years left in his deal. And even if he wanted to leave, you should be shopping him around at 35 to 40 million. And you'd get it as well. Mm -hmm. You would absolutely get that money because that's the level of player he is. Yeah. Many clubs looking for centre backs, and he will probably either go. He's linked with Spurs and handful of league gun clubs, isn't he? So and AC Milan. Yeah, yeah. Him and Tamori, Gareth Southgate's worst nightmare. <laughs> um, where are we? Uh, we have another bit, uh, another fantastic Kwanzaa pass. This one to Darwin, who tries to head it towards Gravenberg, and it just mm. goes out a bit too far. A little bit uh, too much on the header. Yeah. Uh, offside goal for us Darwin just went a smidge early fuck the finish anyway <laughs> but Diaz put it in afterwards uh, da, 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 da. Fulham have a chance to Jimenez has a shot from 20 odd yards um, then Kelleher saves it and we go up the field, up the field and have a counter attack through Gakpo and Darwin Tosin fantastic tackle 
See, we were talking about him for a reason, people. Uh, Jimenez tries to get a penalty for dying whilst nobody touched him. That's a, it's an atrocious <laughs> dive as well. Like, it's not even a good dive. It's not even believable. And you've got poor Marco Silva having a stroke on the sideline <laughs> because he's convinced it's the penalty. And then someone shows him it on the little screen and he sits there then having a sulk. I assume because he's just made a show of himself <laughs> having such a tantrum. But it's, a, it's an atrocious. Like, Diaz has his arm, like his hand open, palm up against the arm of Jimenez. Doesn't pull him. Doesn't push him, doesn't do anything, just puts his hand on him. Gravenberg comes in, I assume breathed very heavily or something on his back, and down he goes like a sack of potatoes. That's an outrageous dive, an absolutely outrageous dive. In in like in fairness, the referee I thought actually got all the big decisions tonight right, but I, I think he should have booked him and his for diving there. I, I think it was that much of a simulation. I think he actually should have booked him for diving. Oh, it would have been deserved. Mind you can't book him and his because he'll ask you in the first like he did a few weeks ago. Um, can't be doing that. Uh, Alexis gets fouled by Kearney, yellow card. I was only like half watching. Some people said red card, but then it, it just wasn't. Um, um, I don't even think it's a fucking free kick. Yeah. He slips. He yeah. wins the ball and he slips. Does anyone call him for red card needs to just give the head a wobble? He wins the ball. There's no force in it. He just slips. Alexis is just unfortunate, but there's no con- like, there's no bad contact with him. They just sort of bundle into each other, and Alexis makes a bit of a meal of it. But he's up fairly quick, and he's fine. It In no way, it, should, it, it wasn't a yellow card. It wasn't, and it definitely shouldn't have been a red card. It, play on should have been the, the whistle there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 44 minutes just before halftime. Bradley does some nice work down the right. Uh, Tosin defends well again. Uh, deep cross by Elliot after a great Darwin pass. Uh, Grav just con- can't control it, and it's one where Darwin's just behind him. I don't think Darwin would have reached it earlier, but I think if no. Grav puts that away, it would have been some Ronaldinho-esque fucking finish, to be fair to him. He should have uh, just thrown himself out. Just try and hit yeah. that. Even if you don't get to it, just fling yourself at it and see what happens. Like, if you throw yourself at it and it hits you, yeah, yeah. If you throw yourself at it, yeah, that's it. Even even throw your foot at it and just try and re- redirect it. You're never going to control that ball. No, but uh, he'll learn. He'll learn in time. Yeah, you have to be Brazilian to do that. Um, we're at half time now, Dave. Just to one other player mention, we mentioned Kwanzaa. We might as well mention the other half of the uh, young right side of defence, Bradley. Mm. It like. <laughs> I know he impressed at Bolton, and I think he played a bit more right wing rather than right back, which is kind of the same thing for us because our fullbacks do go the forward. Um, I never really expected this because I think we discussed this. Well, you may, you lot may have discussed it on another row. Like the earlier Europa League appearances by him and some of the other youngsters, you're like, eh, you just don't see it. But you put him in a team full of experienced players, and he just doesn't look out of place at all. I mean. It almost makes me rethink what it'd be like if we, I don't know, Clark gets a run, even if someone like Doak got a run who was obviously in the team earlier on. But can we not ju- not not judge young players until they play with the first team? Because, like, say Luke Chambers, I think he was probably the one everyone came into the season thinking mm. he's linked with Leverkusen. He'll may get a chance at some point. And he was he kind of struggled in the Europa League. But if we saw Chambers next to Van Dyke in, say, a league game 
or Norwich at the weekend if he's playing next to Ibu or something. That might make him look completely different when he's playing next to Kwanzaa and whoever the hell else uh, against Union St. Gelo's when nobody gives a toss. Yeah, of course it would. I mean, look, you, you could put Gerald Kwanzaa next to Dejan Lovren and he, he's going to struggle because he's got Dejan Lovren next to him. You put him next to a competent centre-back or, a, in our case, a great centre-back like Virgil or Ibu, then he's he's going to improve because it's going to be a lot easier for him because he's only going to have to do his job, not somebody else's, and some of his job he's going to get help with. And the same thing goes for Connor Bradley. Now, Bradley had a couple of hairy moments earlier on in the game where they got in far too easily down our left and Robinson was able to get crosses in mm-hmm. unopposed. But Bradley just has this tendency to really grow into games. And it was the same in the Fulham game in the first leg. He had a couple of tough moments early on and then he really grew into it and he really started to look at home. And it was the same today. I mean, that kid has clearly just been locked in a room watching tapes of Andy Robertson because everything about the way he plays is Robbo-esque. From the shape of his body when he tries to cross the ball, the way he runs, how aggressive he is into the challenge, even just the kind of head-down scurry is very Andy Robertson. And there was another thing that was a little bit Andy Robertson that we'll get to when they scored their goal. But Bradley, when he first came in in the Europa League, looked miles out of his depth. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like he wasn't playing with Virgil van Dijk. But what's impressive about that, that tonight is that he's playing with Gerald Kwanzaa next to him, who's a very young player himself, and Harvey Elliott, who's, again, a very young player, not the most physical of presences, not the best defensively. Mm -hmm. But it's not like we're getting getting exposed there. Like, everybody is comfortable at the level they're playing at. And like I said, I just thought Bradley went from strength to strength throughout that first half. Once he settled in, I thought he looked very at home. He's, He's obviously got a good footballing brain. We saw one one in particular lovely um, bit of combination play between him, Harvey, and Cody Gakbo mm-hmm. on the right-hand side that led to Harvey getting in and we almost got a good chance from it. And there's, there's just a subtlety to his game that I like. He, he's clearly a good passer of the ball, but he clearly has a good thought process and decision-making process because you don't see him... Oftentimes you'll see a fullback give and and just blindly make a run and then turn around and look appalled that the ball didn't come to them when there was no reason for the ball to go to them because there's a better option somewhere else. With Bradley, he'll give and then he'll find space again. And he'll only make that run in behind if it's the right move, if he thinks the ball is going to come back to him. He's not expending energy just for the sake of making some big stupid overlapping run. He only he picks and chooses his moments, which I think is really, really promising in such a young player. But like you said, he did get a full season at Bolton last year. I think he played 40, played 53 games, 41 in the league out of a possible 46. He got in team of the season, didn't he? And he got in the league one. He and was, I got Bolton's player of the year. He was Bolton's player of the year, Bolton's young player of the year, and Bolton's player's player of the year. And I think you're right. I think he was he in, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't in the 
League One team this season. He was left out of that, and there was a bit of there was a bit there was a bit of uproar over him not getting in because he was really good for them, but he was playing largely as a wing back, and he like the the Liverpool coaches have have talked about it how impressed they were with the job that Ian Everett and his team did with Bradley. Ian Everett's been at Bolton now a few years and he's done a really, really good job stabilising a club that, to be fair, was an absolute dumpster fire when he took over. Mm. Like They were a complete mess. And he was basically an unknown. He'd been at Barrow in non-league and he'd done well there. Bolton had been relegated into League Two. He took them over, got them promoted, and then came really close to getting them promoted again last season has them in a great position again this season and is very clearly someone that focuses on development. And Pep and Linders has, has spoken a couple of times about how impressed he was with both what he can see from Bradley, but also the process and the feedback that they were getting. Like it's, it sounds like Ian Evett was keeping uh, our, our staff updated on like, this is what we're doing with him. This is why we're doing it. And, you know, keeping an open line of communication, which is really good for Ian Evett as well, because when he comes back to Liverpool calling and saying, oh, is there any chance you have... You fancy Calvin Ramsey on loan? Do you know, is Trainiani available on yeah. a loan? Is Bobby Clark available? When he comes back asking for another loan player, it's very likely he'll get a yes. Mm-hmm. You no? Know? So, I mean, that, that's that's part of being a lower league manager is you have to impress... The, the higher league coaches yeah. when you take one of their players. Look how many failed loans we've had this season. We won't be sending players back to some of those clubs ever again. Yeah, that's the thing. We'll it seems send like, players back yeah. to them. Seems like Bolton, Hull, Dundee maybe, but that was only really Bolton, back, Hull, Dundee, I'd imagine we'll send players. We've just sent um, Balagizzi to, to Kilmarnock where Luke Chambers was last season and did very yeah. well on the loan. Um Aberdeen, we had a mixed bag, but Reese Williams. Reese Williams just, yeah, I mean, I, who knows? Who knows what went wrong there? Um, but look, Leighton Clarkson did really well. Yeah. And that's I think I think with them, though, that's more a thing where we're sending them players in the hopes that they'll buy them. Like when we yeah. sent them Reese Williams, the hope was he'll do well and then you'll buy him for a similar fee as you've given us for Leighton Clarkson. And when it was quite clear that wasn't going to happen, we just pulled him back and sent him out somewhere else. So, you know, no harm, no foul. Nobody loses out on anything. But, yeah, it's important to us that we do have certain clubs. Um, I would imagine Birmingham might become one because Tony Mowbray's gone there. And obviously Harvey did really well under him. Um, And Bolton were obviously... Bolton Blackburn were obviously the the beneficiaries of that loan rather than Tony Mowbray himself because then they got Tyler Morton last season. Um, but I, I think Tony Mowbray will get a couple of players from, from us probably in the summer for Birmingham. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, let's go into the second half then. And it starts off basically instantly, Dave. We have um, some good work by Grav. I think he just cuts out a pass in the middle of the park, sets up Diaz who then I presume is trying to get an assist badge on FIFA because I don't know why he didn't shoot. I, I have no idea what he was thinking. Like, Gravenberch does brilliantly well, steps in, intercepts the pass, 
doesn't dally on it, gets it moved quickly, picks the right option because Darwin has run offside. So he picks the pass to Diaz and Diaz is clean through mm. in loads of space. And all you want him to do is just drive on and shoot. But he has no real confidence in his left foot and he doesn't seem to want to cut into his right foot or he doesn't have seemingly the the headspace to just you know shift the ball across and try and arc it into the far corner. And I don't know what he's doing, but he makes an absolute hames of it. Like that should have been game dead and buried. Yeah. That should have been us, you know, starting to get players off and get ready for the next game. He makes a mess of it. An absolute mess of it. Yeah. And then Fulham kind of grow a bit into the game, but doesn't really explode into the game till later on, as I keep mentioning. Uh, but they do have a chance. They break down our right. William passes to um they could overread on, on, on their right hand side. Gomez defends it excellently. Um, I think I asked this in WhatsApp. <laughs> now Robertson will come back into the team. But has Gomez been our best? It's hard because Trent was bloody excellent before his injury. But has he been our best fullback this season? Because Trent's more good stuff spin as a midfielder. Yeah, Joe Gomez has been comfortably our best fullback this season. What we've seen from Joe is the best fullback display that we've had in a year and a half. Yeah, because Robbo was poor last year. Trent was poor last year. I was watching it and I was thinking, has Joe Gomez just always been a left back? Because <laughs> when he joined us, he played left back and he was brilliant. And then he tore his ACL and he never got back to left back. He was right back. He was centre back. He was injured. But he's dropped into left back since Costas got hurt. And he's just been absolutely Outstanding game after game after game going up against a variety of different wingers and performing at a really high level. Like he came on against Arsenal. He put Bikayo Saka in his pocket. Then we played um, Burnley and he went up against Wilson Odebert, who's not a big name, but he's a super talented young player. And Joe was tremendous against them. Then we played the tune. Anthony Gordon played right right wing for them. And Joe marked him out of the game. Then we went to Arsenal up against Saka. And Joe Gomez took him and completely just wiped him out of the game. Played Fulham in the first leg up against Bobby D. Cordova-Reed. Never gave him a kick. Never gave him a kick in the game. Then we played Bournemouth at the weekend. Again, you're looking at Marcus Tavernier, a different type of winger, mm. someone who drifts in field. He's a bit of a playmaker. He's got good pace in behind. And again, Joe Gomez just marks him out of the game. And again tonight up against De Cordova Reed, who's a dangerous player. He's limited, but he's a dangerous player with his pace. Good counter-attacking player. Really good counter-attacking threat. And Joe just pockets him. Joe Gomez has been absolutely outstanding. And you're right, Robbo will come back into the team. But I don't think he should. Mm. I genuinely don't think he should. And what, what I really liked from Joe tonight was Joe was stepping into midfield and playing in a double pivot at times to give us a bit of a base alongside Alexis and then later alongside Curtis. And his play in close quarters, his comfort at receiving and turning in a tight space, that's very, very high level. 
Joe Gomez might be the answer at left back. Now, I know he's not the traditional Klopp left back. He's not that overlapping threat. And I know that when Trent comes back in, we're not going to invert the left back into midfield. But Joe can do that. He can also sit in next to Virgil and Ibu or Virgil and Kwanzaa in a back three. He's also happy enough to go on the overlap, even though he doesn't have a great left foot. He's happy to, you know, go outside, cut back. And Gomez is an underrated crosser of the ball and always has been. Fantastic cross of the weekend. Really good cross weekend. Really, really high level cross. And if he's cutting back onto his right foot and curling those crosses in towards that back post, all it's taking is the smallest touch from a Darwin or a Cody or a Jota or whoever. And it's a goal. Like, Joe's a very, very, very good player. And I said this, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe, on a Daily Red. If you look up and down the Premier League, for me, the only team Joe Gomez didn't start for was Manchester City. Mm. I think he starts for pretty much every team in the league. And I, I maintain that because when I look at what he's capable of and the variety he has in what he's able to do, like the versatility in his game. You look at the Arsenal team, I'd much rather have him than Ben White or Zinchenko. And personally, I'd take him over one of their centre-backs. He definitely starts for Villa over Diego Carlos. Mm -hmm. He definitely starts for Spurs. Maybe, Maybe not. Maybe not Spurs. He'd get games at Spurs because he'd, get, he'd get a ton of games. Game. He'd get a ton of games. Yeah, he might not start for them because I do think Romero and Van de Ven are very, very good. And the two fullbacks, because of how they play, Joe wouldn't yeah. really suit their fullback roles. But he definitely starts at West Ham. He starts at Brighton. He starts for United. He starts for Chelsea. He starts for the turn, and he definitely starts for everybody in the bottom half. So City and Spurs. I think even, he starts for everyone see, else. I mean, Walker at right back is declining. Walker's declining heavily. Yeah. So, like, that's the thing. There is an argument that they'd take Joe Gomez and start him at right back. I I think we have, we have been robbed of easily the best English defender of his generation because of injuries. Look how many games the guy has missed. Like, it's cruel. In his first season, he plays the first seven games. He gets injured. We don't see him again. The next season, he plays three games in all competitions. Then it's 31. Then he plays 25, only 16 in the league because he breaks his leg. That's the year we win the European Cup. He's playing out of his skin. He breaks his leg. Then he misses most of the running. Uh, Then he plays 43 and we win the league. Then he plays seven in 23. And remember how good he started that season. When Virgil got hurt... Yeah, We were like, do you know, Gomez is really stepping up here and, and the Gomez-Fabinho partnership. Yeah. yeah, with Matip in rotation, we were like, we might be okay here. Then Gomez gets hurt. And yeah, basically, and, got hurt. <laughs> and then Matip get, gets hurt at Christmas because again, the Fabinho-Matip thing looked good. <clears throat> but he plays 12 games all of that season, then misses most of the next season as well because it's such a bad injury and he's working his way back. Last season, he plays 21 games in the league, 31 in all competitions, and was poor. Yeah. was outright poor, and it was the first time any of us had ever really thought, maybe it's time to sell Joe. Mm-hmm. Not 
not we should sell him so he can go and start somewhere else, but maybe he's just not going to be back to the level we need him at. But this season, he's been brilliant. It doesn't matter where we play him. Right back, brilliant. Centre back, brilliant. Left back, brilliant. You could stick him in midfield. He'd be outstanding. Joe Gomez is a fantastic footballer. A fantastic footballer. If not for the injuries, he'd be the best English defender of his generation. Hi, everyone. This month, the channel is supporting a local charity based in Edinburgh called Steps to Hope. Steps to Hope helps support people who are experiencing homelessness and addiction. The founder of the charity, Richard Roncero, is currently doing a Sleep Rough campaign where he is sleeping rough on the streets in eight different cities for eight weeks. Please like, share and follow the Facebook page and if you can, donate. Thank you. Oh, I think him and Van Dyke, that partnership, historic's the wrong word, but it should have been historic if he stayed fit because I'm sure everyone's seen the numbers of like win percentage. I think him... Van Dyke and him and then Van Dyke and Matip's like up mm. there. I think it's like Rio and Vidic. And then I'm pretty sure it's Terry and Carvalho, I presume. Um, but yeah, he's in a historically good partnership. He just didn't have the sheer numbers to make it historic. It's just a fucking shame. Um, but yeah, even if Robbo comes back in, there's an argument, play Joe right back and move Trent in the midfield. Into midfield, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. There is an argument. And the other thing, unfortunately, for Joe is because he's so good and so versatile, in a way, it counts against him. He'll never be the main centre-back. <laughs> yeah, because Jürgen would rather have him as sort of that utility, you know, one-size-fits-all plaster over any any gash. Like, uh, it's a shame. But I, I, would, I would go to war for Joe Gomez to continue to stay in the team, even with Robbo back, because... Like Andy Robertson has declined significantly. And yeah, he had a couple of decent games this season. He wasn't good this season. He was dreadful last season. He was poor the back half the season before. It, Andy Robertson is not the player he once was. People are, are too too hesitant to move on. We we saw what happened when we stuck to a midfield for far too long. I don't want to see that happen to Andy Robertson as well. He can still be really valuable as a squad player. But I think Joe Gomez should be starting at left back. Well, hopefully the break's done Robbo good because he doesn't get many days off. Um, but yeah, hopefully he's refreshed a little bit. Bit weird he didn't come on, so maybe he's not as close as first thought. Maybe he just wanted to fill out the bench with not 16-year-olds. Um, anyway, we'll get through the rest of the second half. Uh, Diaz dribbles at Castagna, um, and Gakpo nearly turns it into a goal. It would have been a mad goal if it happened. Uh, Kelleher, another bit of nervy goalkeeping. He gets beat in the air by Torsen. Uh, then Pereira hits the post as it falls to the left-hand side. Very weak keeping. And then we go up the other side of the pitch. And Elliot, weak finish, to be fair, on the counter-attack. I think it was I think it was Darwin on the ball, if I remember correctly. And Elliot just shoots straight at Leno. Um, then five minutes later, Darwin uh, nearly scores. Uh, excellent work by Bradley on the right. Darwin, a little spin, nearly a fantastic finish in the top left. Um, do you want to go through those few incidents there, Div? Yeah, I mean, Darwin's just so unfortunate there. He, he has two brilliant moments in the second half. One is is that little turn, and it's like a clipped shot, and he just puts a little bit too much bend on it. And the other is the, the setup for Harvey. Um, it's another great break, obviously, after they hit the post. He has multiple options and he picks the right one. 
Like, there's a more obvious option, which is Diaz. But Harvey is the right option because Harvey's the one arriving into space. It's just a shame that Harvey's right foot isn't particularly great because all he does is just hit it as hard as he could. If Harvey had just put a little bit of composure into that and clipped it into the corner, Leno was already planted and committed. If Harvey just clips that to to the goalkeeper's right, Harvey's left into the far corner, I think it's a simple goal and it's game over. But like those are two moments where Darwin has done everything right and rather than have the goal and the assist he deserves for them, he gets nothing. Yeah, I think that's the big part that's developed this season because you see see lads on um, TikTok and your, your Twitter and stuff like, oh, he's not got better from last season. Like Maybe the shooting, but everything else, I think, just gone upwards. Decision-making, link-up play, um, just threat. Everything, yeah, everything, everything outside the penalty area has improved exponentially from this time last year. Every single aspect. (laughs) The finishing will come. It will come because we've seen him be a really good finisher. He was a really good finisher. Improve massively, either. No, we're not asking him to become Diogo Jota or Robbie Fowler. Mm. We're just asking him to become average, and he's shown at Almeria and at Benfica that he can be above average. If we get him to average, as I've said before, we don't need him to be a 30-goal-a-season striker. What we need him to be is, you know, 15 and 15. 15 goals, 15 goals created. 20 and 15, whatever. We have our 30-goal-a-season guy. That's Mo. Darwin's not in the team through that now. Darwin might have been bought with the expectation of becoming that because, you know, there might have been the thought process of maybe Mo will leave. My belief is now that Mo will renew his contract and stay longer. And Darwin is in the team to facilitate him. And he does that. And he does it to a very, very high level. He's got 10 goals and 10 assists already this season. That's a very, very impressive return, especially considering he's played left wing for a bunch of his appearances. Get him on pens, stat pad. That's all we need. Um, He's probably the best penalty taker in the team, to be fair. (laughs) Um, Anyway, where are we? Uh... Subs, Fulham bring on uh, Wilson for decorative Reed. He obviously has a big impact later on. Uh, and we make some changes, probably more protection more than anything. Jota uh, and Jones come on for Darwin and Mac. Obviously, we have to protect Mac because he's already just come back from injury. And Darwin's played a lot of football and he doesn't know how to not sprint. So that probably doesn't help. <laughs> um, uh, then we get to the 69th minute. Gravenberg has a shot from the edge of the box. Uh, Gakpo kind of screwed up a breakdown on the right uh, just a bit before that. My next note, this game's a bit dead at the minute, <laughs> so my next note is seven, uh, eight minutes later, uh, where they score, Dave. Um, mm. Yeah, it's this is probably where the, they obviously start to play a bit more, but it's just Wilson skinning Bradley and... Issa Diop, for some reason, has the best movement of any nine in the world when he's a centre-back. Yeah, it, I, I know he's a kid, but this is really poor from Bradley. Yeah. Um, it is notable that as the ball is played to Harry, to Harry Wilson, you can hear an audible shout of, go on, Connor. And I'm not sure who that's from, whether it was somebody in the stand, one of our subs warming up or what it was. But he decided to go on and he fully committed to going in the wrong direction. And he overcommits. It's as simple as that. He just overcommits and makes it far too easy for Harry Wilson to just cut inside. 
Connor Bradley should not be getting beaten 1v1 by Harry Wilson, a player that doesn't have much pace and isn't very tricky. He should be showing him down the line and forcing him into a cross um, because he can only do what like, Harry Wilson can't kick the ball with his right foot. So he's always going to try and keep the ball on his left. But we make uh, Bradley makes it easy for him. Cuts in. It's a good ball across. Mm-hmm. I've seen some people suggest it might be offside. I didn't see a good enough angle on it. They but, didn't. They only show on the one replay, didn't they? Yeah. The angle. At the I'll end of the day, anyway. it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the, the grand scheme of things, he does well. He gets across the front. And he finishes well. Don't think you can put any blame on anybody really. Um, other than Bradley should do a bit better. He shouldn't commit himself as heavily to the outside ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're one, one and it did just create a bit more tension than there needed to be. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if this was before or after the goal, we had that weird thing where Diop was just molesting Jota for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but then he does get booked literally a minute after his goal. Cause he just basically goes through Jota 79th minute, Wilson uh, shot forces a killer save. I thought he screwed that up from the angle on the TV. I was like, heart and mouth moment there, which wasn't great. Uh, Pereira has a lovely cross. No one was in the box for Fulham or no one was in a dangerous area for Fulham. Then, Dave, we go to a back three and the game kind of just dies, really. We had, mm. That was about yeah. it when we brought Ebu on. We brought Ebu on, we Frank brought Clark, Bobby. I should say. And Bobby Clark came on in midfield and it was very clear that we were just going to shithouse our way to the final. Um, and it was lovely to see. I mean, I love a back three. Three giant fellas at the back, all of <laughs> whom are good in the ball, great in the air, big and strong. Yeah, happy days. Made it very easy for us. They didn't really threaten us after that at all. And the only kind of notable thing then was some wonderful shithousing from Queeving Kelleher, who put the ball down for a goal kick, walked back, decided the ball wasn't in the right blade of grass, walked forward, <laughs> moved it, upset all the Fulham fans and got himself booked. Um, but no, I, I think when Ibu came on, obviously he had a, a couple of good moments and I thought Bobby Clark did well when he came on as well. Yeah. Um, just a bundle of energy, good on the ball. You can see he's a very clever player, obviously from good stock as well. His dad was a very good player. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, it shows the faith Jürgen has in Bobby Clark that with six minutes plus stoppage time. So it turned out to be about 10 minutes in a cup semi-final away from home against a good team with the game, you know, on a knife edge, they score again. We're, we're going to extra time. He's, he's happy to to bring him on in that six, that, that circumstance. I think that'll do the young flu massive amounts of, of good in terms of confidence. Yeah. Might get a start of the weekend as well. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, just a word on the final then, Dave. 25th of February, I believe. Yep, just double-checking. We have Chelsea because I don't think I could have handled a Borough final, to be fair, because even if we didn't batter them, I would have never been allowed to leave the house. But Chelsea kind of did me a favour battering Borough. <laughs> I won't lie. But we have them in the final on the 25th. We obviously know it's going to finish nil-nil and go to penalties. So what's your thoughts on that game already? <laughs> yeah, it's going to it's going to finish nil-nil and go to penalties. My my big um, thought on this is, will they move the Luton game to midweek? Luton play, we play on the 17th, then we don't have a midweek game. And then we play Luton on the, we were meant to play Luton on the 24th, which will obviously be postponed now. Mm-hmm. I wonder will they move that to the midweek because there's there's no real space after that in the, in the schedule for us to play. 
So I'm guessing they might move it to like the 20th. Yeah, sometimes they don't schedule them for months, don't they? So it might just end up like one of those ones where it's like penultimate weekend or something. Yeah, it's like the, it's just midweek well, there. Midweek on the on the Wednesday before the final day of the season. Yeah. Which, you know, given we, we hope to be going for a league title on the final day, given we hope to be also in a, in a Europa League final around then, we don't really need another game at the end of the season, so it might be best if we can get that one out of the way the week before the cup. I think that's if if the if the club are, are allowed to go and petition for when they would like it played, hopefully that's when they ask for. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, Chelsea, I mean, yeah. Chelsea, look, it'll be it'll it's oh, likely shit. to be a, a be a be a dull game. The the games against them generally are. We'll get a preview of it obviously uh middle of next week. But we'll have players back by then. You know, we're going to have much more of a full complement back by that final. All going well. Mo will be back. Trent will be back. Dominic will be back. Robbo's back. Costas will be back. We might even see the lesser spotted Stefan Besetic and then the mythical, and the mythical creature that is Thiago Alcantara by then. Turns up, plays Chelsea, never seen again. The N'Golo Kante effect. Come, turn, <laughs> turns up, throws in a 10 out of 10, 20-minute <laughs> sub-appearance, wins us the game, and that's it. Just the hip gives up and he never plays again. Title of the pod, N'Golo Kante, revenge. <laughs> there you go. Right, that's it. Uh, Dave, any plugs you want to do before we go? Uh, two-footed every day, daily red every day. Most importantly, Buzz Podcast. Um, we are relaunching. We have relaunched, myself and Trev, a new adventure for the two of us. Last week, we did episode one of the new season of True Detective and Saltburn, the new Barry Keoghan film. So check out both of them. And this week, we are doing episode two of True Detective. And we are also going to do a nostalgic 90s classic movie. So keep an eye out for those. Fantastic stuff. And I'll be in the background of some of those pods i imagine um anyway thank you everyone for listening big thanks to everyone in discord as well uh, i'll probably be i think it's trev for the fa cup game it might be me for chelsea because he's going to it the lucky bugger um but we'll sort that out soon but from me goodbye we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.